Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get to sit down and have a conversation with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. Uh, this is your host, Will Avant. We're so glad you're listening today. I'm with Pastor Eric Zellner. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Will? I'm doing great. Um, though over the past couple of weeks, we've been you know, going over Fruits of the Spirit. Um, also realized the, the listening's been down a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people not that nobody wants Nobody wants to grow in the Fruits of the Spirit. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just messing um, but, uh, we have been, you know, last week we went over kindness and goodness and talked about that. And so I kind of make this remark every single time we, we get on the podcast, but if you haven't listened to the first one, uh, to our listeners, go back and listen. Cause we kind of talked about introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so unique to listen to the fruit and kind of the order it's presented, um, in scripture. Um, though many different translations have it in different order. Yeah. Um, but Today, we will be going over the last three, actually, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, Pastor Eric, what is what are these three? Yeah, the, you know, let's go back. I'm going to reread the uh, the text for us. It's in Galatians 5, 22. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then today we're going to cover faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's an important place to begin, right? The fact that uh, that these fruits are a result of our crucifying of the flesh. And so we'll start with that because we'll come back to that towards the end. Um, I couldn't think about the concept of faithfulness without thinking about the text I'm preaching from this week, which is Exodus 34. And... Uh, my one of my seminary professors when I first began seminary class full of students who were hoping to be pastors and he he says gentlemen open your Bibles turn to Exodus chapter thirty four uh, verses six and seven and uh, so we op- we turn there and there's a long pause while everybody's getting there and he says um, what I'm about to show you is perhaps the most important scripture in the Old Testament um, and I was like wow I mean that's a big deal for somebody to say perhaps the most important scripture in the Old Testament. And Exodus 34 is where God reveals his character um, to Moses. And because of this, it ends up being quoted again and again and again. Uh, One of the examples, of course, you remember Jonah, uh, when after God actually relents and spares the city of Nineveh, Jonah, you know, with with head in hand, well, this is why I didn't want to go because I knew you were God who was gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I knew you'd forgive. Um, well, I say all that because a major part of the character that God reveals is that he is a God of faithfulness. So when we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, you recognize that one of the outworkings of God's Spirit dwelling in us is that you and I would be, be the kind of people who would grow in faithfulness. And so um, we begin with that concept that God is faithful and and because he dwells in us, he moves us towards greater faithfulness. And you really can't think about this without the the picture of a of a marriage. That's in fact what is what faithfulness is. You remember in your own wedding, you know, as last summer, we uh, you come to the front and whoever the pastor is, he says, um, 
in this marriage, you are forsaking all others. Um, you're committing to faithfulness. You're committing to forsaking all others, which means a single-minded devotion to this one person. So when God talks about faithfulness, uh, he, he actually has in mind that we would be those with single-minded devotion to him. But I, I did find it really helpful um, when we talk about how to break this section down. Uh, we've used John Stott a little bit. He has a great commentary on Galatians uh, published you know, decades ago. But he, he breaks down these uh, in a very helpful way. He, he says that this third, these, these final three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all aspects of self-mastery or self-control. Uh, and, and so it, it is no surprise that he concludes the list that way. But in order to understand that, it's helpful to re- remember that he's actually saying that love, joy, and peace are Godward. My love for God, my joy in God, my peace in God, those are Godward. Then, And this isn't the only way to think about it, but it, I think it's a helpful breakdown. He says that patience, gentleness, excuse me, patience, kindness, and goodness are manward. How I might express those towards other people. And then finally, he says that faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are actually selfward. And the reason I think he's right on that is because of the way that Galatians 5.22 ends. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So it is learning to gain mastery over myself so that, um, that I act in a manner that is faithful to the Lord but everybody who's who's ever sinned and knows their own unfaithfulness to the Lord recognizes it's it's a selfward problem, right? It's it's in me, and so to crucify the flesh is to move inward and attack, in a pretty deliberate way, my flesh. So, faithfulness really does refer to um, my willingness to be as God is to me, um, single-minded in my devotion to the Lord. Uh, that aspect of gentleness, I think it's impossible to talk about gentleness without thinking of Christ. Christ uses the term meekness in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is uh, that is putting the good of someone else ahead of your own. Um, it, it doesn't mean you know getting thrown in the locker in junior high school. That's not meekness. Um, but this gentleness, <laughs> gentleness and meekness is a quality of character that actually longs for and pushes forward the good of someone else. And how is that self-mastery? Well, because everything in me is says in my flesh, I'm actually number one. The whole world revolves around me. I want everything to appeal to me. I want everything to center around me. And every all the ways that I think are about self first. So when you think about gentleness or meekness, um, you're actually thinking about dying to yourself for the good of someone else. Now it comes, uh, it comes out in the aspect that uh, how is you might wonder how is that gentle, right? Well, you recognize it when you see it in other people that they are willing to put forth the good of someone else, and they don't have to control the room. They don't have to push themselves forward and and uh, press against other people. Again, it's not. <laughs> um, I think because we've all lived in real life, it is not simply being the whipping boy um, on the football team or something like that. It's it's literally just having a posture that wants the good of someone else. 
And then that last uh, idea of self-control, um, it is, this is really the sum of what it means when in Galatians, I mean, excuse me, in, in uh, Colossians 3, when Paul says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. And he describes sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But all of that putting to death is learning self-control. It's learning to master my tongue, my appetites, um, whether sexual or food or anything else. Um, it's learning to to press against those. Now, here's why that's so counter, Will, and I think you know this. It's obvious. Everything else in, in the world around us invites us to engage those passions. Christianity does something totally different, and it invites us— this, is, this doesn't mean that we're less human or humane by, by fighting against our flesh. It actually means we're more like God intended us to be, and that is in control of our faculties, our desires, our passions, and things like that. So that's a, that's a big, broad, quick summary of what these three might mean. Yeah, no, it reminds me, actually, I was, I was reading um, an essay by C.S. Lewis called Men Without Chest, and he talks about how the medieval— view of passions and reasoning and and those connected is that the the mind kind of symbolizes our reasoning mm. faculty yeah um our stomach um symbolizes our passions because it's gross it's kind of you know it's our passions if we let them out mm -hmm. not um connected to our reasoning then it, it comes out not the best yeah right? sure sure just like food in the stomach digests and yeah. comes out not the best yeah <laughs> uh, to say it plainly yeah. but um he also connects those two mm -hmm. he says the heart the chest is what the medievals thought is what connected the the, the reasoning faculty the mm -hmm. mind in the in the passion faculty the the stomach mm -hmm. and so the bible alludes to the heart all the time we see through a hardened heart or a tender heart yeah um and it kind of connects that idea oh, that's an interesting idea that that um that Lewis could pick up on the fact that that had been a long-standing understanding among ancient people, that there is a, and and it, and it's understandable, right? I mean, it, they would recognize the way my stomach governs me. Um, also, in that direction is is our sexual desires and our sexual passions that those govern us, um, and the concept that my head can think totally differently, um, but in between the two is the heart. And that, I think, why, that's such a helpful concept because it really is, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we're talking about, and I don't mean this in a, in a localized spot in, in the cardiac region, I, I, I just mean that the heart really is, biblically, um, the area wherein the Spirit dwells and takes over to train the mind to, and, and to train, basically, in your, in your illustration, north towards the brain. Mm and south towards the flesh. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great picture. Um, one of the comments that uh, Philip Ryken mentions, I'll pull this out if people will bear with me while I turn there. Um, he actually talks about that faithfulness is the trustworthiness that comes with trusting in the God of the Bible. Um, faithfulness is trusting in the God of the Bible. Um, and part of that, I think, is so fascinating. It's actually learning the character of God that teaches us to begin to reflect the character of God and knowing who he is. Um, and likewise, that gentleness that comes along is, he describes it as power under control. And I think that's that's a useful illustration. Um, 
it doesn't mean that you've got to be a power lifter. It means that all of my faculties and my and my desires are brought under uh, control by the help of the Spirit. Um, and so that that concept of of self control then has to do with mastery of of the whole. And I think that's really helpful. It's counter to what the what the world says, but it's helpful. Yeah, and I think. I mean, another reason why it's called the fruit of the spirit, because all these fruit, uh, we kind of mentioned this, I think, throughout, especially in that first podcast uh, in the introduction. But mm-hmm. all these fruit are things that we get from God. Yeah. There's nothing that we can learn ourselves, but things that the spirit implants in us from the Lord that we see all these traits in God. That's um, right. And even that Exodus 34, we see faithfulness, mm-hmm. gentleness and self-control yeah. Yeah. in God. And now we're oh. called to exhibit it through the spirit. That's exactly right. Yeah. So God dwells in us. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Well, I had a couple follow-up questions, actually. Okay, sure. Um, One being that we kind of talked about a little earlier before this podcast, and one being one that I just kind of came came to my mind throughout this. Um, So I hope I'm not getting you. um, (laughs) Off the cuff. Oh, yeah, off the cuff. We'll be okay. But the first one, uh, there's a lot. Something that I've always thought about is, we've talked about this a little bit, but there's always been a juxtaposition, I hope I'm using that word right, between um, sin in the heart versus sin in our actions, mm-hmm. right? We're called to, yeah. to kill sin in the heart, and that's why the Bible talks about the heart. And, you know, we talked about going northward towards the mind mm-hmm. and southward towards the summit, towards passions and towards reasoning. Sure. We're supposed to kill it at the heart mm. um, and not let it kind of go towards our stomach or go, go towards our mind. Mm. Yet, we don't always do that, right? Mm-hmm. It does go towards our mind. It goes towards our stomach. Yeah. Um, and, and is there a point... There's a point at which some Christians would say that if we don't let that sin in our heart go towards our passions, then we're kind of hiding it from other people. Oh. Um, we're not being an authentic self if we're not allowing our emotions <laughs> to rule us in that way. Or, yeah. um, I, hmm. How do we even answer that? And, and it's a tough question for me to ask because it, it's so meaty and it's so big that I'm not even sure I'm being clear about well, it. Well, no, I think, I, I mean, I, if I'm understanding correctly, so much of what our society is talking about and our culture identifies with, especially in, in college, right? The concept of authenticity is so big. Um, and and so I think if I'm understanding you correctly, okay, so you're already sinning in your heart. Um, to be to be withholding who you are is to be inauthentic. So you just, just let it out, be who you are. Um, and then... They're also making a slight delineation between that sin which exists within my heart and that sin which exists uh, by coming out of my mouth or my right. or my actions. Right. So um, if it exists in our heart, why not exist in our actions? Yeah, yeah. Well, the truth is that both levels are sin, right? That both. Uh, it's not just that I have that those sins in my heart. It's also that they come out. So when Jesus talks about out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, he's actually acknowledging. Um, that it's not enough to begin with the outside of the cup. You actually have to begin with the inside of the cup. And what modern man is saying is, well, the inside of the cup's filthy. Why not just let it pour out? Um, well, that's entirely counter to everything that we've talked about. It's counter to everything that the Bible says. Uh, since we belong to Christ, we crucify the flesh with both its passions and desires. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5. But everywhere else in Scripture, it says we're also crucifying our actions, right? Um, Some of you were sexually immoral. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were swindlers. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But you are no longer that, right? Earlier in that passage, he talks about um, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Deeds, 
that which comes out of us is evident. And so the Bible doesn't separate uh, in a in a way that um, allows us to just free flow from the heart. It actually holds the heart and the actions together. So if you find that you have an evil thought, this is deeply convicting for me. If I find that I have an evil thought, um, the mind is the first place to do battle with it. Not to release it and then later try to, you know, like squeezing toothpaste out of a tube and then trying to get it back in the tube. Um, the place to begin is with the battle in the heart. Um, and part of the way that we win those battles is by inviting other believers into the heart, right? Not not by way of going, hey, you know, I was thinking about old so-and-so. He's such a jerk, and uh, but I wonder if you'd help me with my heart. But rather, uh, something that would be more faithful and gentle and self-controlled is to say, I'm struggling here. I want to confess this to you and ask for your help, ask for your prayers, uh, but by bringing those things out, not in a tone of venom, but in a term of, tone of confession and repentance, it's actually a, it's actually how we begin to see the, the flesh put to death. Um, I don't do that well, to be honest, and I and I I need to watch myself in the areas of faithfulness, gentleness, self control, so that my the actions of my mouth, the actions of my hands and my my feet. Uh, flow from a heart that's changed, and that's what I really want. Sorry, that was my computer. No, that's um, great. <laughs> that, uh, listeners couldn't hear that, but I got a little notification okay. on my computer. Oh, good, but, good. Uh, Give us the last question that you um, have. Yeah, this is the off-the-cuff one. Okay. Um, there's always, when any Christian almost talks about gentleness specifically, there's always that question of kind of what's going on in our culture right now, truth versus grace, you know, the gentleness question of like, mm-hmm. Yes, as um, Christians, we ought to, to, to speak the truth of the gospel, the truth of the mm-hmm. Bible, but we're supposed to do it in a gentle way, mm-hmm. yet that doesn't always connect. Yeah. Um, and so you have a lot of Christians kind of start to take sides, mm-hmm. that we need to have more truth, mm-hmm. and some that, well, we just need to be gentle and yeah. in, in some way kind of mm. not talk about truth. Right. Yeah. So I, where does that meet each other? Yeah, I think that's a, actually a great question. It's it's a very common discussion. Um, let's let's begin with this idea here. Um, if gentleness really does mean putting forward the good of another person, that does not mean that I withhold truth, right? Imagine a doctor who misunderstood the concept of gentleness. And he said, well, you know, in order to put the needs of this other person ahead of them, I don't want to tell them that they've got cancer, right? Um, <laughs> that would actually be, that would actually go so full circle that it would lose the concept of gentleness, which is putting forward the needs of another person. So I think where we can, as believers, can deal with the, the tension between truth and gentleness is to recognize that the two of those are actually not in opposition to each other. What's the opposite of truth? Falsehood. What's the opposite of gentleness? Well, it's my flesh raging, right? Um, And so what I think people are really arguing against is my flesh raging um, in a manner that is non-gentle and using truth as a billy club to hit somebody over the head. Right. 
So that has a lot to do with my tone. It has also a lot to do with what I desire for the person. Um, so if my desire is to win an argument or, um, or be thought of as smarter or shutting their mouth, that's neither gentle um, nor for their good. Right. But it, uh, I may be telling the truth, but if I use that truth as a, as a club over their head. So here's, you know, if we understand the gentleness as we've described it as meekness, like Christ says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, putting forward the needs of another person, putting their uh, needs above my own, then I don't have to, if I put their needs above my own, the best thing I can do is tell them the truth in a warm, kind, winsome way, right? That, because I've died to my own flesh. I don't have to kill them with this truth. In fact, I want good for them out of this. So that's the way I would answer it. I, I sometimes think we create a false dichotomy that really doesn't exist. Right. Um, and we do it because we tend to be fleshly and rude at times, right? So, so we're pitting something against truth that really isn't pitted against truth. Does that help? No, that, that really helps. Okay, good, good. These are this is a great discussion. I I, uh, I hope folks will uh, benefit from this discussion about the fruits of the spirit. We've covered everything uh, now: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Um, and as Paul says, against such things there is no law. Um, and the reason there's no law is because we belong to Jesus Christ. And this is an inward transformation of the heart that produces this outward fruit. That's really good. Well, thank you, Pastor Zell. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Y'all have a good day.